0: Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And Garrett, the Premier League is finally back. Woo! I'm just so excited. I've been waiting all summer for this, and we can finally talk about some Premier League football. We will start with our game of the week. It was Crystal Palace hosting Arsenal at Selhurst Park, and... It got off to an amazing start for Arsenal in the 20th minute when Martinelli was able to bundle one in off of a corner. It was a training set piece from from the training ground. Arteta was very, very happy about it, you could tell, because it was drawn up by one of their coaches. All they did is cross it very deep to Zinchenko, who was alone, who headed it back central into the melee, and Martinelli bundled it in. Uh, It was a first half dominated by Arsenal but it was a game of two halves, wasn't it? Because in the second half, Crystal Palace took over not only possession, but chance creation and everything. It was just very difficult for Arsenal to get back into the game because they were unable to uh, release pressure. It was interesting to me because, uh, you know, Crystal Palace were doing very similar things with their center backs just pinging balls to the corners and having their wingers run after them. But it worked in the second half, whereas in the first half, it didn't work so much. And I think it's just more of Arsenal were able to connect passes. And Arsenal moved into this sort of 2-3-5 formation almost, which is similar to what City were doing, by the way, uh, Arteta and Pep's thinking alike. I'm not surprised there. But there's, their wing backs would come inverted, so Zinchenko would come inside, uh, and and it was just basically a 2-3-5 where Jaka would be the one to really push up high as you know a fifth attacker, which you don't really see because normally Arsenal are in that 4-3-3, three, three, but they were in a 4-2-3-1 really. Uh, that shifted to that 2-3-5 I was discussing uh, in possession. So it worked really well in the first half. I think Vieira might have figured something out at halftime because he figured out a way to, to keep possession. And if Arsenal were on the break with only, you know, Jesus and one of their wingers, Marnelli or Sokka or whoever it is, then those two alone can't keep possession. And then Anderson sends it
1: back. Yeah, Justin and Palace did have some chances, right? I think of Eze getting fed through and had a really good look at goal in one-on-one and just put it straight into the midriff of Aaron Ramsdale, who, although at first it looks like was was a great save from him, it it just was a poor finish. Um, And so Palace just didn't capitalize on the fact that they... Did have a lot of the ball and they did have Arsenal pinned in for a good amount of that second half, but eventually Arsenal would get their security goal uh, through the form of a Mark Gahey own goal. It was Saka with a bit of invention down the right side, just using his pace, got to the byline, crossed it in and Gahey tried to head it clear ends up skipping off the wrong side of his head and in into the back of his own net. So unfortunate there from Palace, definitely not a horrible performance from them. And, you know, there were a few teams who lost this weekend who I think could still be encouraged by, um, you know, the way that they played and, and the performance against quality opposition. I, I think of Everton as well. But, you know, Arsenal picking up three points to start the season. Um, you know some of their players getting off to a really good start I think Martinelli's gonna have a big year I know both of us loved that with uh, him being in our FPL team so yeah yeah, I think so far so good for Arsenal definitely room for improvement they need to figure out how to sustain that dominance over the full 90 minutes but you know Crystal Palace on the road is never an easy game so you know they can't complain about three points in a clean sheet can they
0: no you're absolutely right and it was, a lot of people are talking about how good of a performance it was from Arsenal, and I think it's very true in the first half, um, but it, it was that second half that was, as I said, a completely different game, and so you have to give credit to Crystal Palace there. They probably should have gotten even, I mean, unexpected goals. It was very close, whether you look at uh, Mob or, or XG Philosophy. We normally like XG Philosophy. They have uh, 1.46 to Arsenal and 1.23 for Palace FOMO has basically the same for Palace but only one for Arsenal so big difference there whichever one you trust but the point being that it's a very close game uh and it, but it ended up being Mikel Arteta's 50th win for Arsenal in 98 games which is you know the second fastest to ever do it behind uh the one and only Arsene Wenger by the way in 94 games so Uh, This is why I back Arteta. It's a process, but he's getting there, right? And I I think they'll get that top four. And the other piece to this was just uh, Saliba on his debut in the Premier League for Arsenal after going on loan for a couple of years. It really helped him mature into the player that he is now. And 100% take-ons completed, 100% aerial duels won, 94% packs accuracy, seven ball recoveries, six clearances, man of the match performance from him. Absolutely incredible on his debut.
1: Yeah, you took the words straight out of my mouth. He was he was fantastic, and I think was a big reason that Palace weren't able to capitalize on that possession they had in the second mm. half. Um, and, and I think this is kind of a good conundrum for Arteta to have because he now has three center backs who he'd be totally fine starting week, week in week out, right? Obviously, Ben White was playing on at right back in this game because uh, Tomiyasu was unable to pass a late fitness test, um, and he hinted that. You know, there was someone who wasn't going to be fit during the week. He didn't want to tell Vieira who it was, ended up being Tomiyasu. So Ben White deputized it right back and and held his own. But I think Saliba, I just don't see how he gets dropped at this point. So if Tomiyasu comes back, you know, Ben White might be getting rotated. But the fact of the matter is that Arsenal have three starting quality center backs now. um, And and Saliba is, you know, someone they signed like two years ago. So a, a really quality addition that they didn't even have to sign this window.
0: Yeah, I mean he's just coming back to the club, right? And it's basically a new signing, as you say. Ben White is a good uh topic you bring up to me because he played very, very well. And Arteta talked about how he needs that physicality on his for his wing backs when they're playing inverted as they were. Um, and so I think that's part of the why Ben White. Obviously, Tommy Yosu, as you said, is not fit, but. When he's fit, I don't know if he is going to be the starter because Ben White played really well in that position and did exactly what Arteta wants him to do and wants an inverted wing back to do or an inverted fullback to do. Excuse me. So I don't know. It could be it could be that back line for a while. They all played very very well.
1: Yeah, I think it's also an interesting balance between the two inverted fullbacks of having Ben White, who's you know a bit of a destroyer, a center half by nature, strong in the tackle, and then just a technical player like Zinchenko next to him and, and kind of the contrast there, but I think they complemented each other quite well. Um, and then obviously we don't know if Zinchenko will stay at left back once Kieran Tierney's fit. That's obviously a, a, a big if because Kieran Tierney's never fit, but uh, <laughs> he was, he came off the bench in this game for Zinchenko. I still think that Zinchenko should end up playing as a midfielder. I think maybe Arsenal could have established more possession in the second half, kept a hold of the ball a bit better if they had Zinchenko in midfield instead of, say, Granite Xhaka, but, you know, we'll see about that. Yeah, that's the other piece to it, because
0: their relationship to me was also very interesting in this game watching, because Zinchenko did have that freedom much more than Ben White, right? As you're saying, they're very different fullbacks, So because Ben White's not even really a fullback, and neither is Zinchenko, but in very different yeah, ways, right? One's yeah, center back one's a midfielder, so... But what was interesting was, as I was mentioning earlier, Xhaka was bombing forward almost as that fifth attacker often, right? And But if if Zinchenko wanted to go forward, he had the freedom, in which case Xhaka had to be aware of that and see it and drop back into the left-back position, wherever Zinchenko was supposed to be at the time, and just play left-back for a few minutes. It was a very interesting uh, situation. They, they, those two were almost interchangeable, and they were playing very different spaces.
1: Yeah, no, you bring up a great point. And, and before we move over to Craven Cottage, Justin, I mean, Arsenal, we talked about that corner routine. I mean, they are mm. so, so good from set pieces. Last year, uh, they had 14 goals, or 13 rather, this is the 14th goal from a corner they've scored since the beginning of last year. Only Liverpool and City have more. But the other fact of the matter is that not only are they great at attacking set pieces, they're great at defending them, because last year... I'm pretty sure Harry Kane's goal in the North London Derby uh, off the like deflected corner was the first goal he had conceded from a corner all season. And that was with maybe four games left to play. So the fact of the matter is that they are dominant in both boxes and you know, if they can keep that up, it'll be a huge asset in terms of keeping more clean sheets, scoring more goals and potentially getting that top four spot. Right. I think set pieces are something that do really separate the men from the boys in this league
0: you're absolutely spot on. And Mikel Arteta knows it. Uh, He was, they Sky Sports did an interview after the game in which they asked him about that. And he said, yeah, it's a training ground move. Yes. One of my assistants came up with it. And yes, I'm very, very proud it worked on the
1: pitch. And with that, Justin, we can move over to a really exciting game at Craven Cottage, of course, newly promoted Fulham hosting Liverpool. Um, And, you know, this was Quite an interesting game, definitely a lot closer than we thought it would be. Um, and it was that man, Alexander Mitrovic, who came up huge for Fulham, didn't he? Um, scoring in the 32nd minute, uh, just a towering header over Trent Alexander Arnold, who continues to struggle aerially. That's nothing new, right? We know that. And when you put him up against a striker like Mitrovic on the back post, there's only one winner. Um, but then Darwin Nunez came off the bench and completely changed this game, didn't he, Justin? He ends up getting a goal on a really lovely kind of backheeled finish, um, little flick, fantastic goal. But then Fulham would end up getting a penalty uh, through Mitrovic going into the box and just basically knocking knees with Van Dyke. Definitely a bit of a soft call, um, but there was contact, I guess not enough for VAR to overturn after the referee called it on the field. Mitrovic ended up burying that penalty but you just knew Mo Salah would have his say. Uh, He had the assist on the Nunez goal, and then Nunez assisted his goal in the 80th minute. Game ends 2-2 at Craven Cottage. So, you know, both teams sharing a point, but, you know, some really interesting takeaways from this game, not only that I think Fulham probably deserve a bit more credit than we've been giving them, but also just the impact that Darwin Nunez will have on this Liverpool team this season. You're absolutely right on, on both of those things.
0: Uh, First of all, Darwin Nunez. I'm one of the people who is just not convinced yet. I have to see it. He had a great season in Portugal, but it was one season and it was in Portugal. So if he can do it for Liverpool in the Premier League, I will be convinced, but I'm not there yet. This did a lot to do it, right? Because he completely changed the game. As you mentioned, he did Liverpool had zero shots on target until he came onto the pitch. And then they had four in those, you know, those limited minutes, He was involved directly in all four of those shots on target, including the two goals. So, very, very impressive. Obviously, the assist was a little bit, you know, generous. It's a bad first touch from him that ends up falling to solid's feet and solid bangs it in.
1: And Justin, with that performance off the bench, Darwin Nunez became only the third player to score an assist from the bench on his Premier League debut, after Sergio Aguero in 2011, and. Alvaro Morata of all players in 2017 but he was not the only striker who had a big debut this week was he
0: no he was not Erling uh, early Holland the other big name striker for Manchester City uh got the 2-0 win by himself got the brace in debut he as well also the only f- the second Manchester City player to do so behind Sergio Aguero
1: yeah, notice how his name is in both of these records. What a player he was.
0: But yeah, it was a very good performance from minute one. From from Fulham, they did not lose a 1v1 duel, a 50-50 ball in those first 15 or 20 minutes at all. They were completely on top of Liverpool. Super, super fun to watch at 4.30 in the morning for me. It got <laughs> me awake and, and jumping. Um, Andres Pereira is the other piece that I have to mention from this game because I tweeted... Now I understand why he went to Fulham because I actually rate this guy. Now in one game, I, my rating of him just skyrocketed because at at United, he was, you know, whatever. I didn't think he was very good. He was one of the worst players at United probably, but at Fulham, right. But at Fulham, He shined. I mean, this guy played in a 10, almost like a second striker with Mitrovic. He was doing so much work defensively on Fabinho, not letting him out. And he was doing the attacking work of a 10. Uh, Super creative. If you don't have him in FPL for four and a half million, you don't know what you're doing. Put him in your FPL immediately.
1: Yeah. And then Justin, you talked about his relationship, you know, as a second striker behind Mitrovic. And I think we have to talk about Mitrovic because, you know, obviously we talked about in our predictions about, oh, you know, if Fulham want any chance of staying up, they need Mitrovic to play Mm -hmm. like the Mitrovic of the championship. Not saying he's going to score. 42 goals or whatever, but they need him to not flop in the prem like he has many times. And this was a very, very good start for him, scoring two goals against one of the best defenses in the league, obviously one of them from the penalty spot. But now, Justin, he scored 44 goals in 45 games since the start of last season. I mean, that's outrageous. Wow. And that's 15 more than any other player in England's top four leagues um, You know, in the EFL. It's just incredible. And, and if you can keep that up, Fulham, you know, will have a good chance of staying up. And after this performance, I'm starting to to rethink where we put them in the table because it was really impressive that they were able to play this football, this style of football against a team as high flying and high octane as Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. Um, Obviously they weren't able to hold on for the win. Would have been quite a big ask, to be honest. Um, Despite the fact that they did hold Liverpool, you know, they deserved a few shots, but, but, you know, with the quality that, Liverpool have in this side you know it just kind of seemed inevitable that they would find a way through and they did so yeah definitely unlucky for Fulham but a very very good performance and a lot of positives to take from that um and yeah I think definitely people are going to start rethinking where they put Fulham in the table and it's only been one game
0: yep You're absolutely right. And the last thing I just have to mention, by the way, is that no team has ever won the Premier League after failing to beat a newly promoted side in their season opener. So good luck, Liverpool.
1: Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Let's hope uh, there's not a first time for that one, right?
0: Yeah, but another newly promoted side had an incredible result, or at least a shocking one to me. It was Bournemouth beating Villa 2-0. I mean, just... What? I mean, we predicted this Bournemouth go down to 20th. I predicted Villa in the top half. This is just a shock result. The way they did it as well, they scored after a minute and 56 seconds. It was the quickest goal scored in match day one by a newly promoted team in Premier
1: League history. Yeah, Justin, and they've now beaten Villa in four straight meetings dating all the way back to 2016, obviously with the two clubs being relegated during uh, those years. Um, and although Villa dominated possession in this game, 66% Bournemouth actually did have more shots on target. And I thought Villa did look a bit frail at the back. And as much as, you know, this is a really, really good result for Bournemouth and a great way to start their season. I still think they will go down, but to me, it just speaks about Villa and how I just don't think they're there yet. They have good players, obviously. But I told you in my predictions, I was unconvinced about Steven Gerrard as a manager. I'm still like that in this sense because this is a shocking defeat for them, isn't it? I mean, this is pretty much a consensus worst team in the league. Everyone predicted them to be bottom. uh, And I really don't think they're good enough to like pull a Sheffield United where they somehow – Finish way above where they should, because you look at their lineup and Justin, there's no way Villa should be losing this game 2-0 against this team. There's just no way. So yeah, I I think Villa should be concerned about that performance. I think they will need to bounce back against Everton, who I think will will also be hungry next week and when the two meet at Villa Park because they had an encouraging performance against Chelsea despite the loss. So I think that game will be really interesting in in kind of telling us where Villa are really at and also where Everton are really at. And then, Justin, we also had plenty of drama at Old Trafford where Brighton went in on Eric Ten Hag's debut and upset the Red Devils, a 2-1 win for the Seagulls. The scoring was opened by Pascal Gross in the 30th minute. It was a really nice through ball from Leandro Trossard to Danny Welbeck, who pulled it across the six yard box and Gross was there for the tapping on the back post and he would make it two just nine minutes later when De Gea gave up a juicy rebound. He was there at the back post to tap it in. I mean, it wasn't even a tap in on that one. It was a nice finish on his, on his left foot um, into a relatively empty net, but Brighton up two nil at halftime, the old Trafford crowd were, you know, very restless as you can expect. And United would pull one back via Robert Sanchez scooping the ball in off of his own player. It was Alexis McAllister who got the final touch, um, but it would end in a defeat for United on Eric 10 Hogg's Premier league debut, Um, a result that not many people saw coming. I mean, what do you have to say about this one? Yeah,
0: Garrett, there were a couple things that stuck out to me in this one. Uh, First is just the tactical masterclass from Graham Potter. Obviously, as you mentioned, this was 10 hogs debut. We wanted to see how his IX tactics would adjust to the premier league. And it's not even to me that his tactics were so bad. There were a couple problems. First of all, uh, there was no striker, right? Erickson was playing a striker, but he wasn't really playing a striker. He was playing like a 10 next to Bruno. Uh, Rashford was switching almost uh, higher than Erickson most of the time, in my opinion. So that allowed Brighton to play a back three, which they would not have been able to do Cristiano Ronaldo. And we saw that in the second half. When Ronaldo came on, it was a different game. But the biggest problem was in the first half, Brighton were playing a four- a diamond in the midfield of McAllister, Caicedo, Alana and gross. And that worked extremely well on uh, the, the midfield of Manchester United, because mainly Fred and McTominay, especially McTominay. I mean, especially Fred, excuse me, was so bad. uh, He literally just can't pass the ball out and can't, you know, build out in 10 hogs, formation he you know ten hog ajax way is all about passing and triangles and these type of things he cannot do it he just is not up to the task and that's what a problem and why i realized manchester united really need a lot of just more players and better players and that ten hogs tactics can't just solve the problems um Maguire and martinez were doing a similar double back two back thing with the with dallo and shaw coming as inverted fullbacks Uh, Similar, again, to what Arteta and Pep were doing. Not the same in each case. They had variations, but they they were all similar ideas. The problem being that Harry Maguire is not a center back that can play that. So while Martinez was okay, Maguire just was struggling like Fred. The the quality in Manchester United uh, is not able to play Ten Hogs tactics, and that's what I learned from this game. Well, uh, Brighton understood that, and they – played exactly how they needed to play. It was amazing on the counterattack. Despite 37% possession, uh, they were definitely the better team, better expected goals. They did not concede. And the only reason that uh, United even had chances was because when Ronaldo came on, it was a different game and they had to adjust slightly, but still found a, a way to win. Fantastic for Brighton. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And the last very interesting game was at Ellen Road between Leeds United and Wolves. Uh, It started in the sixth minute with Potence getting the goal, opening the scoring very early. And you felt like, oh, this might not be good uh, for Leeds. You know, a lot of people think they're getting relegated this season, uh, a bad start to the season. But Rodrigo responded in the 24th minute, got his goal, and it was just a very entertaining back and forth game for the rest of it. Uh, Wolves had a little bit more possession and the better of chances, but Leeds were, you know, strong defensively and tried to get hit on the counter. I thought Bamford didn't look very good, uh, if I'm honest. But um, a couple of people who did look good were our Americans, Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson. And whether you want to call it a, a own goal by Nuri or Brendan Aronson getting the goal in the 74th minute, it came on the counter attack, uh, and. Leeds get the win 2-1 and, and hold on uh what were your thoughts on this one Garrett
1: well I think it's a bad sign for Wolves um I, I think Leeds are a team who have kind of been known to crumble especially last season you get one goal and you end up getting three or four right I, I think good for them that they persevered and they managed to fight back in this game but that goal from from Rodrigo was just a horrible error by Jose saw I mean it's a shot he should be saving 99 times out of a hundred and if jose saw is going to be poor this year which obviously we both said he won't be as good as last year because that would be you know very difficult to replicate that level level of performance but if he's making mistakes like that i think wolves could be in big trouble he did end up making a fantastic save in the second half i think it was from bamford's header i'm not quite sure who it was but it was a flying save fantastic kind of making up for his own mistake but i still think wolves should be concerned because you know this is a team that's had a lot of turnover in leads right um, you know, a, a lot of new players coming in, players starting as well, right? Like with Adams Aronson, as you mentioned, also Rasmus Christensen playing. I, I think their back line isn't great Uh, with Llorente and, and Cook. I think that's, you know, very permeable, if you will. But um, they were only able to find that one goal, which you know was a lovely strike through Potens, but I didn't feel like they created all all too much in the rest of the game. So yeah, it's good for Leeds. They really needed a, a positive result to start the season, especially in, in, in what is a very winnable game because I think a lot of people think Wolves are just going to be quite poor this year, quite stagnant, if you will. And, and I think Wolves should be concerned about the fact that you know, they were really unable to muster much after scoring that. And they let a team who have been known to crumble, get back in the game and end up finding a way to win. You're absolutely right there. Um,
0: Yeah. I think that leads us perfectly into the question of which of your predictions from last week that we did our premier league predictions, would you change going into the new week because obviously now you've seen every team play you got a little sense of what they're looking like this season.
1: Uh, w- would you change anything? You know what I, I think I might and, and this is definitely knee jerk, but I have a feeling Fulham might stay up. I, I really could see them staying up by a few points, maybe finishing sixteenth or seventeenth. And then if I were to replace them with someone, I think it might have to be Southampton because. Despite the fact that they've they've brought in new signings, which we both liked, and I thought Bazunu did have actually a, a reasonable game at the Ta- Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, but Joe Arriba wasn't really able to make much of an impact in this game. And I know Spurs are good, but Spurs were not at their best in this game, and they still managed to win four one. And I, I just think Southampton looked really just beatable at the back. Obviously, Salisu made a really bad mistake on that own goal, but um, you know, other than James Ward Prowse scoring that just fantastic volley that he hit down into the ground, you know, Southampton didn't do much. I think he is by far the highest quality player in their team. I just don't know if they have enough quality to be comfortable and and be clear of that bottom three. So as of now, if you were to ask me to change something, I'd probably swap Fulham and Southampton in terms of who stays up and who goes down.
0: So you're finally agreeing with my Southampton pick then. I love it. Uh, I still think Fulham are going to go down, but I love that performance from them against Liverpool. I just think that that happens so often in the first game where it's like one of the best teams or title contender plays a newly promoted team. And it's close just because of the energy, uh, you know, is that Craven cottage, we saw a similar thing, uh, Brentford, Arsenal. I know Brentford did well last season, but you know, this always happens. It seems early on, but uh, for me, it would be between Leeds, Everton and Wolves because I always wanted to put Wolves lower and I just finally got some confirmation of that. Leeds, I always wanted to put higher and I got some confirmation of that, but the reason that I'm not going to go with either of them and I am going to go with Everton is because they played each other. So I'm not going to just take too much from it. I I think they're probably Wolves are going to, I probably, I think they're just going to finish close to each other. Right. But Everton, the reason is not even their performance against Chelsea, which, you know, a 1-0 Chelsea, loss to Chelsea on a penalty is not horrible at all, but it's the signings that they've been making. I, I, when I made those predictions, I said, I thought they were going to bring in Idrissa Gay and that would be it, but they're spending more, they're bringing in more players, and we will talk about it, but it's, it's making me think that they're going to be a much stronger team.
1: I like that, especially after, you know, the shout that you had about Frank Lampard last week, and you were starting to worry me a bit, but it could still happen (laughs) if he
0: doesn't perform well, because all these signings are coming in. If you don't do it with those signings, then it's, it's a problem. So it could still happen if he doesn't perform well, but I think it's more likely that he does with all these signings, obviously.
1: Well, that's definitely encouraging to hear Justin And, and talking about signings, we can move straight into some transfers um and we can go to west ham justin starting with a, a big purchase for a, a player that everton were sniffing around and that is maxwell mm. corney right From they should have gotten him well potentially i i think they didn't want to pay the 17 and a half million pound release clause that west ham have now paid and so everton moved on to dwight mcneil is what the report said they realized that they wouldn't be able to get corney for less than that that release clause. So they, you know, shifted focus to a different player in Burnley squad. But West Ham are the beneficiary of that because I do still think that this is a good deal for Corneille. The difference, I guess, is that they have to pay that fee up front, whereas Everton were able to structure a lower fee up front for McNeil with more, you know, installment payments and incentives, if you will. But Corneille will be signing a contract until 2027 at the london stadium um i think it's interesting addition to their you know winger depth uh, he'll probably end up playing on that left wing i think pablo fornals has kind of looked like a bit of a weak link in their squad uh, in, in recent weeks and then we know that they want Sayed ben rama to to exit because he just hasn't really hit the ground running like they would have hoped he would after joining from brentford but what do you think about this signing justin
0: well, first I was surprised on that Ben Rama thing. I just, first of all, he came off the bench. He didn't look bad. Uh, but yeah, you're right. They do want to let him go. They do want to sell him. I think it's surprising. I think it's a little bit early. Let him uh, have another year, give him one more year, see if he could do it. That would be me. But as far as Corne, I love it. I think it's a big signing. I think seven and a half, 17 and a half million, excuse me, is a fantastic price that's why I believe Everton should have snatched him up because if Everton could have gotten a player that West Ham want, you know, that's uh, not that they didn't. Um, but it, it's still a good signing for West Ham. I think that winger is a position that they were lacking. You know, they're a very strong defensive team, but going forward, it's just Antonio uh, Bowen was really good last year, but I don't think he'll be as good this year. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it'll be a very good signing, a long-term signing until 2027, uh, big fan of this from West Ham.
1: Yeah. And you know, second uh, attacking edition of the window for them after Skamaka, who we've talked about, obviously. And, um, you know, again, we we think they'll have a really strong run in the conference league. They've added more depth here, so I don't see a reason why they wouldn't. And um, although City, you know, did breeze past them essentially this weekend, I still think they'll be a strong team this year. And then Justin, we were speaking about Wolves and and how they just lacked impetus and, and they didn't really create much after um after their opener at, at Ellen road, right through potence, but they've gone out and spent big on shocker. Another Portuguese player this time <laughs> it's Gonzalo Guedes from Valencia, the 25 year old uh, moving from Spain over to England. And Justin, this is a deal worth up to 30 million euros, including add-ons per Fabrizio Romano. Um, and honestly, I'm kind of surprised it took him this long to leave Valencia with You know, just the ownership that they've had under Peter Lim over there at Valencia, and they've been selling everyone for practically nothing, right? Basically gifting Parejo to Villarreal for five mil and then they go and win the Europa League. It's just been a disaster during um, Peter Lim's time at Valencia, but they managed to get a reasonable amount of money here. I think it's a really good signing for Wolves. I mean, he had 11 goals and six assists in La Liga last season. He's a player who's had high quality, probably hasn't lived up to his potential, but still only 25. I mean, I think this significantly improves what they have going forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 11 goals and six assists in 36 La Liga games uh, last season. At Valencia, he's been, you know, one of their best players. Hopefully he can be not one of these flop signings for Wolves because we know they just go after anybody Portuguese, whether they they deserve it or not. I think that Guedes uh, probably is one who deserves it, though. So hopefully it works out for them. Um, but yeah, we're going to have to see because if it doesn't, Wolves could be in a relegation battle.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Fabio Silva I, still comes to mind. It's just right. what were they thinking on that one, right? That's just George Mendez just whispering in their ear telling, hey, spend $35 million <laughs> on this striker who's going to score you one goal in two seasons. So, yeah. But speaking of Wolves, Justin, their captain, Connor Cody, on the move to Everton on loan with an option to buy. And, um, you know, I think, as you said, there were a lot of positives to take from that performance against Chelsea even though that's not exactly why you're moving us up in in your predictions or would Mm -hmm. um but there were also some injuries right uh Ben Godfrey breaking part of his leg because you know the ball went out of play official doesn't call it you know they they played on and then he goes in for a slide tackle his foot ends up like bending weird underneath him fractures his leg uh, and then Mina messed up his ankle ligaments later in the game in the second half in a non-contact injury and you know Everton needed a center back to, to come in and Connor Cody through the door a lot of experience 29 years old obviously a great leader has been Wolves captain for quite a while and you know comes to Merseyside back to Merseyside if you will where he grew up after seven years at the the club at Wolves so Um, I'm personally happy with the signing. I think it's smart. Um, You know, obviously we don't have to buy him if he doesn't end up performing, but it's another solid defender. And I think him and Tarkovsky could be a really solid partnership of just experienced, no-nonsense defenders at the back.
0: Yeah, and that's why the difference between Mina and Keen and Tarkovsky and Cody, they're they're levels to this game, right? And that is a huge upgrade for the stability of everton at the back i think it's uh very very big and obviously one of the main reasons that i said i think that they are probably going to finish higher than i previously predicted but the question i have about connor cody is he's a copite what is he doing going to everton i mean this guy better perform because this is a very this is a disaster waiting to happen right this is very ballsy from Connor Cody. He's a Liverpool fan. He a former Liverpool player uh, going to Wolves. No problem going to Everton. That's not okay.
1: Well, you say that his remarks in, in his opening interview have been very encouraging, but also Justin, his son plays in the Everton Academy. So it's not like he has no allegiance to the club and his son loves the club and when he told him it wasn't that, good enough was to signing. get into the
0: ever he wasn't good enough to get into the liverpool academy <laughs> oh, or
1: oh come off it get out of here but when uh when connor told his son that he was signing for everton he was uh absolutely buzzing running up and down the halls and that's part of what uh connor cody said in his interview so you know yeah it's definitely right. an interesting situation but it's it's nowhere near the same as like rafa benitez if that's what you're insinuating by disaster waiting to happen
0: well, that's OK. It is a comparison because I do think, well, OK, first of all, I thought that the Benitez would do well because of that. Right. I thought that would be a motivation and for him so that he can't he can't fail. I feel the same way about Cody. Now, I was wrong about Benitez, but Cody can't just dip out of the club to another place. You know, he is he's there now for this year, at least. So he's got to make the best of it uh and so that's why i think he'll succeed plus he's he's a professional as you say he's captain wolves for a long time He's very very good and next to tarkovsky they're gonna make a great pair they really really are
1: yeah and then i think we'll actually probably end up seeing mason holgate as, as the third center back because i don't think lampard's just gonna switch away from the 343 immediately and holgate hmm. was actually really good against chelsea after coming off the bench but justin i think we have to now move to the the big addition from Everton. Mm. We were wondering if we'd actually spend any money this window. And my word, did we hear Amadou Nana, the 20-year-old Belgian midfielder from Lille. And-, and we managed to swoop him from West Ham last minute. We matched their bid. He decided to turn his head. He wanted Everton and, and you know, was in the director's box during the game at Chelsea, you know, just minutes after completing his medical at Finch Farm, but €40 million with add-ons, a contract till June 2027, and there is a 20% sell-on clause in case Everton move him on, which I feel like is likely because – You know, everyone's been saying this is a player destined for the top, has all the physical attributes, six foot four, really good pace, really good strength, um, can play as a six or an eight. I'm extremely excited about this signing. I think it completely changes the complexion of the midfield. And you put Onana and Idrissa Ghanage next to each other. And, you know, if I'm an attacking midfielder or a center mid, I am not looking forward to going up against that partnership.
0: Absolutely. The question I have, Garrett, I mean, you obviously said as all of it. I mean, you're an Evertonia, you know more about him than anybody, but or besides Leal fans, of course. But how is the midfield of Everton gonna look, right? Because it's gonna be gay at the six and Onana at the eight,
1: probably, right? So who plays the 10? Well, we're not really playing with the 10 at the moment because we have the wing backs and then and then it's three up front. The real question for me is what happens to Alex Iwobi because he was fantastic against Chelsea. I think, you know, he could work really well with uh, Gay and Onana. So I'm not sure if maybe he ends up playing as the right winger from time to time instead of, you know, either Tamari Gray, Anthony Gordon or or, um, Dwight McNeil, of course. Or, you know, might we see Lampard actually switch to a 4-3-3? This is not what I think will happen, but it's kind of what I want to happen because I think Gay, Onana, and Iwobi would be a fantastic midfield, mm. not only with just the amount of legs there. I mean, the amount of running, that that's phenomenal just in terms of a, a work rate perspective and, a, you know, industry perspective. But also that's a lot of really good balance because you have Gay, who is just a destroyer and will win pretty much any tackle that he goes in for. You have Onana... Who, you know is another really good physical player and I think will fit in really well to the physicality and speed of this league. And then you have Iwobi, who's just a really good progressive dribbler, really good progressive passer. So I would love to see all three of them play together at the same time. I still think Lampard's going to stick with that 3-4-3. So whether Gay and Onana play at the same time, maybe they won't, maybe Iwobi will play, maybe DeCore will play, but it's definitely a good problem to have now for Everton because our midfield was dreadful last season. So Lampard now definitely has some options.
0: Yeah, I think it becomes an easier problem when DCL comes back. But until then, that whole attacking area is confusing for Everton because they finally uh, solidified the defense, in my opinion, right? They got the two the setbacks are there, the defensive midfielders and the strong midfielders to win tackles are there. Now, where are the goals coming from when DCL's not there? 100%
1: and I think we need to be looking at a striker Justin and speaking of strikers Chelsea are moving one out and it is Timo Werner and and this is just crazy course of developments because when he signed for the club a few years ago I think we were both really high on him thought he would do well but he's going back to RB Leipzig of course from where he came 20 million euros plus add-ons I mean Justin they spent 60 million euros on him like two years ago this is just a failure from Chelsea. It's recruitment we thought would be a great deal. Um, and it's just not panned out. Why do you think that is? I
0: Because the problem is that Timo Werner just doesn't work in the system. And Tuchel does this with all of these players. And this is what I don't understand why everyone's like, oh, Tuchel's so good. He plays everybody out of position. He just does it to to use wingbacks like honestly the only reason is so that he can play a three back with reese james and and whoever he wants on the other side chill Kukurea, whatever we'll get into but this is just i don't get it because you need a strike and if you're gonna have havertz play your striker all season like you're just gonna have a false nine uh and, and do that and if havertz is injured you're screwed like I don't know what this plan is at this point. He he has to go spend on a big striker. I know they were interested in a bombing. I don't know how likely that is to actually happen, but I, it's it's more problems for Chelsea. And so while they did, as we can talk about, get it, buy Kukarea from Brighton for a ridiculous price again, fifty five million pounds plus seventeen or seven million in add-ons. Excuse me. He's the most expensive left back ever when you already have Chilwell, who has been fantastic every time he's been on the pitch for Chelsea, it, the business is just so confusing from Chelsea. And it's it makes sense because it's Todd Boley who doesn't really know what he's doing in football. He's a baseball guy and he knows how to do business there. But in football, he doesn't really know what he's doing. And that is starting to show.
1: Yeah, I mean, I also don't know if Tugel knows what he's doing either. Because, I mean, the is signing, you don't make that signing without you know the approval of your manager but it, it doesn't make any sense so much money for a player who yeah it's great but it almost seems like chelsea said oh city want this guy okay he must be good even though he doesn't <laughs> they don't need him like they just don't well, have
0: barcelona the- have been doing to them for the whole summer no, so
1: seriously no you're not wrong i mean those yeah but those are both clubs who you know their recruitment policy is just mind-boggling at times <laughs> you no, know, I think Cucurella is a really good player. I think he'll do well at Chelsea, but is that really the area they need to strengthen? Absolutely not. Right. I mean, sure. Marcus Alonso is going out the door to Barcelona, but you know, I just don't get why they'd spend so much money there when they have such a desperate need for a striker and, and they lack so much in And you know, Raheem Sterling had had a good performance, I think as well, but you know, I just don't I don't get it. I really don't. And and I don't think Tugel's going to play him as a left center back cuz why would, that would you do be that ridiculous. You, yeah, why would you do that when you can just go get like a proper center back instead of spending 62 million on on the backup left. back? I just I don't get it.
0: I don't get it either. But what I do get is them selling Matt Miazga who doesn't play for them, but he came to MLS to FC Cincinnati, the American center back on a free transfer. Uh, a max tam deal for him, so he's not even a designated player, uh, which means he can get paid. A, 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 he's getting about one point six million, is what that means per season, um, but fantastic signing for FC Cincinnati, in my opinion. Who are having a a relatively good season, right? They're sitting in sixth place in a playoff spot in the Eastern conference, but this is exactly what they need. They are, are the team that has conceded the most goals of any team in a playoff spot in the Eastern conference. I believe in the league, uh, with conceding 43 goals. That's more than they've even scored a center back, a good center back, um, That obviously he doesn't play for Chelsea, but in the MLS, he will be a quality center back for FC Cincinnati. He will really improve their team. I think he will solidify a playoff spot for them. I just, I love this signing. Uh, More Americans back to MLS. I, I just love it. What do you think?
1: I Justin, I hate to sound like a broken record, but do you think this has anything to do with Greg Berhalter? Because I do. I mean, Matt Mioska has been getting overlooked, not only by Chelsea, you know, been part of their lone carousel for years now, but also hasn't played for the US in quite a while. So I think this is a move that also suits him not only just Cincinnati. Right. But no, I totally agree. I think he'll be immediately one of the better center backs in the league. Um, I think it's a great move for him because he'll finally be getting first team football at somewhere that he's Mm -hmm. not just on loan for a year. And I think there's a lot of players in Chelsea's, you know, loan carousel who should be getting moves Um, you know, not only at the MLS level, but also elsewhere in Europe, right? I I think there's a lot of good players there that just don't get used by Chelsea who would be really useful for other clubs. Um, But it's good to see some of those dominoes finally falling. And yeah, it's a really good signing for Cincinnati. Exactly what they need. And and I back them to to keep a playoff spot at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a good point because I would never back Matt Miazga to get a World Cup bid. But we... Talked about Tim Ream, right? He's captaining a Premier League side, and there's just no thought about this guy getting a World Cup spot. No, no thought at all from Berhalter or the fan base because we just know it's not going to happen because that's not what Berhalter looks at. Yet, yet Matt Miazga comes to MLS, and we think, well, he's he's in Berhalter's favorite league. Maybe he gets a spot. I hope not. I, Tim Ream should be on the ahead of him on the depth chart. Is all I have to say.
1: Oh, by a mile, hundred percent. Yeah, not not even. In but a I, discussion don't think, in I don't think I don't. I,
0: I'm not sure he is.
1: Oh, probably in Berhalter's yeah, no, probably mind. Not. No, probably not. And and I think Matt I think Matt Miosco knows that. I think Gioacchini knows that. I oh, think man. Shaq Moore knows that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But uh, another move from the Premier League
0: to MLS. We love these moves. These are the two leagues that we cover, and a bunch of transfers between them. Uh, This week, it was Christian Benteke from Crystal Palace to DC United to go and play under Wayne Rooney. I'm sure that was a big piece of it. Uh, The striker uh, signs a a two-and-a-half-year contract with an option for 2025. He had four goals in 25 games last season. Um, But he's – I think he's going to just bang in goals. I mean, his physicality in the MLS, he's just going to shove off MLS defenders and just power in goals over and over and over. Uh, and, and Wayne Rudy is going to know exactly how to use him.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think he still has a bit about him. I mean, two years ago during the COVID year in the Premier he had 10 goals for Palace. Like, You know, everyone was talking about how finished he was and and he had been pretty bad for a few years. But, you know, a few seasons ago, he showed that he still has a bit in the tank. uh, And I think that he can definitely perform in MLS. I don't see why not. I guess maybe the biggest reason is that he's going to the worst team in the league, right? Bottom (laughs) of the East. But, you know, with Rooney coming in with some other quality players, right? You think of Taxi Funtas and and he could be Mm -hmm. delivering some delicious balls in for Christian Benteke. So, yeah, I think this is a good signing for them. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see whether they activate that option or not, but definitely a a big name player going into DC. And yeah, I think Wayne Rooney is definitely a big part of it.
0: Yep. Big DP signing there. Uh, Richie Larea, the last move from premier league to MLS. This one's on a loan to Toronto FC from Nottingham forest. They signed three right backs for us did this summer. They shipped one of them off on loan. Uh, The Canadian right back, obviously, does well for the Canadian national team. I think in MLS is a good spot for him, obviously in Canada. So you like this or what do you think for Toronto FC, who obviously made some big DP signings up front recently?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's good for them to balance it and and start making some additions at the back because it's not like that hasn't been a problem for them this year, right? 42 goals conceded. That's only one less than Cincinnati. um, But Cincinnati have scored uh, six more. So, yeah, I think he'll be a good addition to the team. Um, obviously, they lost Justin Morrow, who retired last year. Um, so they they needed some fullback depth. I think he provides that. Um, and, and you talk about Forrest shipping out um, a, a right back. They actually shipped that too, right? Because they, they also lost Jed Spence to Spurs. So it makes mm. sense that they brought in three. I guess they wanted an extra one for depth. But, yeah, he was surplus to requirements at Forrest. We know that. He's not a Premier League level right back. But he should be good for Toronto.
0: Well, yeah, I was just saying they brought him in this summer. They paid money for him, like two and two and a half million, something like that. And then they put him on loan immediately. Um, but a transfer from Europe to MLS, Nuno Santos, the attacking midfielder from Benfica to Charlotte FC. Uh, this is the type of signing I like to see in MLS because it's a young 23 year old. They're paying, you know, not an over amount of money, 1 million plus half a million in incentives, uh, Benfica still have 25% sell on, but uh, you know, it's a good investment for Charlotte. It's a young player. If he can produce uh, and, you know, develop an MLS, you ship him out, you make a profit and it, it brings more credibility to the MLS. I like these type of signings. Uh, he can play for a few years at, you know, a prime young to prime age. Um, and he signed for three years on a TAM deal plus a plus another year option. So he could, he could be a good signing. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting that Charlotte are managing to do some pretty good business despite just the absolute dysfunction in their front office that we've talked about in the past. But yeah, I agree. I think it's a really good signing and and buying players at that age with this kind of upside, you're likely to turn them for a profit, right? That's the way that we look at Cucho because he is going to be too good for the MLS quite soon if he isn't already, to be honest. Um, I mean, Cucho is a little bit older though, DP. I think he's more of a long-term, like he wants to be the star
0: in Columbus for a while. I I see that a little bit differently because this is Cucho is
1: Kucho is also 23.
0: Yeah. But Kucho, but Kucho, I, first of all, I think he signed a longer contract. I could be wrong there, but he's a D. Okay. Well, he's a DP. Uh, This is a Tam. I think maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe you're right uh, that he'll be shipped off soon, but I just get the feeling that he's going to be an MLS for a while.
1: Not, not soon. I think they'll sell him in two years while they can, because it's a young player. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I think he'll sign it.
0: I think he'll sign an extension. I think he'll be Mm. their guy for a while.
1: I I mean, that that would, that would be very impressive. If they could, if they could manage to retain him because I think he's going to continue smashing the league and someone's going to come calling and I don't think Columbus would turn down a profit there. I think the same might happen for Charlotte. I think the same might happen for Charlotte. I think this is an exciting young player and, and it's one of those signings where you look at it and you're like, I don't really see how this goes wrong. Because, you know, worst case scenario, you you sell him for maybe the same price a few years older, but the best case scenario is he absolutely kills it and you turn a massive profit once you know Europe realized, oh, maybe we shouldn't have let this guy go to the US and someone comes calling. So yeah, I think it's smart business. Um, obviously, there is the sell on clause, so that will impact um, how much profit Charlotte do actually make but I, I think he'll be a good performer and he'll, he'll slot right into that team really well and provide some exuberance to what is a team that, that, you know, lacks a bit of youth in Charlotte.
0: Yeah. There's been a lot of positivity on these signings though. I don't feel that we're going to have the same way about this one. Sebastian Legette, the midfielder, the U S men's national team midfielder. I have to say that, unfortunately uh, <laughs> to FC Dallas from new England for $600,000 in GAM. Uh, he was bought by New England this off season for 500,000. It was up to 1.3 million with incentives, which we knew at the time was a ridiculous number, but I'm sure we hit none of them because he was shipped off so quickly. Um, he ha- only played 19 games for the revolution. So uh, yeah, I mean, maybe he had, maybe he had an incentive at 20 games and they were like, all right, we got to get him out immediately. Nobody wants this guy. He's been moved so many times, but SC Dallas now have a U.S. men's national team front three of Paul Ariola, Sebastian Legette, maybe if he plays on the wing, could be, maybe he plays as a 10, who knows. Um, and, and Fredetta, they they could make that a front three, right?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really get this. I mean, you say no one wants him, then why is he going for 600K? Like, he's just not worth that, is he? <laughs> I, I don't know. He they want him like- in MLS. I don't get it. I, I guess he just feels like, you know, the, the new Sasha question, just kind of going wherever. <laughs> um, I don't really get it. Um, I don't really know why new England signed him in the first place. I, I don't really know why Dallas are signing him. It's just, I don't know where he goes from here. Maybe he'll kill it. I doubt it, but I, I don't know. It's just a confusing transfer to me. I think Lejeune's career is a little bit stagnant at this point. I, you know, probably should have just stayed in LA, but who knows?
0: Yeah, you know, FC Dallas. I think it's a signing. They're 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 expecting goal production out of him, right? He they're that's falling out. They're fa- <laughs> I'm I'm just being honest because they're falling out behind Austin and LAFC. They were up there. Um, they're trying to compete this season. I think that's what the signing says is we're trying to compete this season for for MLS Cup. Um, but. I, you know, they need the goal production. That's what's falling off from, from the other two teams. Their def- defense is still there. It's still solid, but it's the goal production is falling off. So Sebastian lejet can he provide that? We don't think so.
1: No, I, I definitely don't. But um, speaking of the galaxy, just Justin, they made a big midfield signing. It is of course, Ricky Puj from Barcelona on a TAM deal contract until June, 2025. I mean, this is a fantastic signing, I think. Obviously, a player who's been getting overlooked at Barca for a very, very long time, probably just not of the quality to, to really break into that team, especially when you think about the players that they have in, in their midfield. And, you know, he's kind of been beaten to the punch by Pedri and Gavi and the other youth players um, who have come through La Masia. But he moves to Galaxy, and, and you know, I think he's going to be a really important player for them. It feels like they haven't really replaced... Um, Jonathan dos Santos after he left, right? Um, but they do have to move on Revelison, uh, to Ligon to uh, Auxerre to, to make room for Pouge. But you know, a really young player still, um, with a lot of upside. I think it's a really good signing for LA or for Carson, uh, <laughs> rather.
0: <laughs> I was surprised you said it. Um, no, but Revelison, here's the thing about it, right? I love I, I think it's an incredible signing from Galaxy. I think this is. I think he's their best player now. I think he's better than Chicharito. I mean, this is a, this is fantastic Ooh, the
1: Yavilich slander. Ah, oh,
0: good point. Good point. Good point. But I really like Ricky Pooja. I don't know why he's coming to MLS, much less on a Tam. When I saw this, I was like, "Well, they don't have a DP slot open. How are they doing this? There's no way he's on a Tam." But they're learning from John Thorrington, at LAFC, apparently. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say if you could put Bale on a Tam, you could put anyone on a Tam, man. Yeah, but Ricky <laughs> Pooja is much, much younger, man. He's a, he's a young guy it's it's so weird to me like he could play in La Liga I don't know why I'm sure he had interest in Europe why would he do this on a TAM contract I really don't understand that part of it uh why Ricky Pouge is doing it I saw somebody tweet like if you're Ricky Pouge and you land in LA are you getting off the plane (laughs) I wouldn't I wouldn't I mean I just don't get it for Galaxy it's fantastic the issue, uh, the only issue for Galaxy is you're shipping off Revellison, as you mentioned. Ryan Reveleson has been one of Galaxy's best players, uh, which is evident why he's going to Liga. But But you should have shipped off one of your DPs. I mean, not Chicharito, but Grancy or Cabral can go. I mean, yeah, like
1: Douglas Costa or Cabral, excuse me, can go. Cabral, without a shadow of a doubt, in my mind, I, I, I don't think Cabral's is very good at all. Um, Costa has been worse. I mean that's true, but but at least we know Costa has quality. I don't think Cabrals uh, done anything to Costa is kind of... not even trying, man. No, you're not wrong. They should get rid of both of them. Is the answer? But um, yeah, instead of Revelston, it would have been yeah. So you know, I still don't give think give they...
0: Puig a give Puja DP contract and actually invest in this guy and instead shipping off Revelston. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we we like it when the Galaxy do things that aren't smart, right? And that's why I think that they'll they'll still end up finishing. Signing. Yeah, well, that's true. But, you know, they had to make another area of, of their squad worse, right? And it's not like Pooj and Ravellison really have the same role in that squad or or obviously will with, with Puj. But I don't know. I, I still feel like, you know, it's not going to be enough to get them into the playoffs with Seattle Ooh. and Portland right there. I, I don't know, man. I just still have a feeling Ooh. that that the Galaxy aren't going to get in.
0: That's a tough one, man. I don't know. Uh, he's he's such a good player and MLS. He's going to be like so levels above and technically of these players in the midfield. It's going to be, it's going to be scary, honestly. Um, but another player that could be very, very scary is LAFC, the cross cross County rivals, shall we say? <laughs> yeah. Um, signed and their third DP. Everyone said, oh, they're going to sign the third DP. They they brought Chiellini and Bale in on Tams, as you mentioned, uh, which allowed them to keep the third DP spot open. Right. And they were able to bring in a player in his prime who has been performing for years in Europe. It is Dennis Bawanga from St. Etienne. He uh, has just been ridiculous double digit goal contributions for five straight years in France. Uh, it will be a $5 million fee for the 27 year old winger. Uh, reports are saying four and a half year contract. Uh we don't know exactly all these reports are, are out of France right now um, rather than the MLS, but we will get some new, hopefully we'll get some more information soon, uh, but he scored nine goals, six assists in league last season. And that was for a team that was relegated Garrett. He's playing for a terrible team, producing these type of numbers, 26 goals, 13 assists in 96 games for that team. Incredible numbers. Uh, I don't watch enough on to know about the, t- the players on the, the relegated teams, but I like what I see question mark being he's a left winger I know he can play both sides he can play up the middle if need be that's why Steve Scherundelo likes him he can play all three positions he likes that from all of his attackers but they have a DP left winger already in Brian Rodriguez
1: yeah maybe he ends up going out the door because I just don't see how you drop Chicho Arango at the moment you just don't um He's scoring goals for fun. And, you know, for some reason, all the rumors have been saying, oh, LAFC, we're looking for a a number nine DP. Um, I guess Bwonga can play there. But to me, he's going to play on the left wing because LAFC don't need a nine. You have one of the best strikers in the league. Chicho Arango is a joke. He's really good. So there's no reason, you know, to to get a nine. I I honestly still think you probably should have gotten a 10 with this signing. But now when you look at the spoil of riches that LAFC have in their attack, I mean, if they don't get rid of Raito, right? I mean, Bowenka and Rodriguez on the left, Vela and Bale on the right, Arango, Apoku, like that is just what? That's not even fair. How do they have this many quality attackers on one MLS roster? I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it, to be honest.
0: You haven't, it's the best MLS roster of all time. And you can quote it. It's a fact. There's never been a better roster uh, to have Chiellini and Bale on Tam contracts and the other players that uh, this team has built. Ilya Sanchez, an MVP candidate on, you know, a million or whatever, a million and a half. I think he's on something like that, but he, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's so impressive what LAFC have done. As you say, I'll tell you, Brian Rodriguez ain't going anywhere, at least this season. So it's going to be ridiculous once Bale gets going. Um, But speaking of the MLS and goals, there was a record 57 goals scored in MLS on Saturday. Uh, That is just ridiculous. It's the most scored ever in MLS in a single day. It beat the previous record by 11 goals, which was 46, obviously. Uh, Just absolutely incredible,
1: Garrett. Yeah, I mean, LeFC obviously are not the only team with some high attacking talent, are they? I mean, six of those goals came in Austin, a thrilling 3-3 draw, and we'll talk about one of those goals a little later, but I mean, when you think about the attackers that are in this league at the moment, it's just miles clear of, of where it used to be, and you know, we have even more coming in with Ben Teke, et cetera, et cetera. But mm. you just look at some of these players. I mean, drew and all the, I mean, the quality of MLS is going up and up. We've known that. And you know, maybe it seems like the defense, the defenses are not keeping up with just the amount of fantastic attackers who are entering this league on a yearly basis.
0: Yeah. Just the number of games that were like four or five goals plus is just absolutely ridiculous, right? LFC RSL, uh chicago 4 one there chicago 3-2 over charlotte uh miami montreal 2-2 3-2 columbus over mcfc 3-1 cincinnati over philadelphia shock result there by the way uh 4-3 toronto over nashville insigne getting his first mls goal bernadeschi also bagging one uh 4-3 kansas city over la galaxy the worst team in the western conference beating Galaxy as you mentioned the 3-3 between Austin and San Jose 4-3 Colorado with a Sardis hat
1: trick I mean is this not the most entertaining league in the world I mean it's up there it's gotta be I mean obviously it's kind of a similar thing to what we were talking about with Serie A right super open title race obviously it's not the highest quality in the world but it it's so open anyone can win although it's it's going to be LAFC. If you guys don't, as I've said, <laughs> you guys would be the biggest fraud club I've ever seen, but you know, anyone can beat anyone on any given day. Um, and, and there's so many, not only goals scored but so many great goals scored, Justin. And, and that's a perfect lead into the goal of the week debate. Cause we had some crackers this weekend. Didn't we, Justin?
0: We absolutely did. One of them it was in a two, one game that wasn't even high scoring, but, was probably the most eventful, and Andrew Gutman's banger wasn't in there. It uh, wasn't even in the in the conversation this week. Uh, there's a few of a few goals that were just really really good, but aren't in the debate. But what the debate I think boils down to is my team versus your team, Garrett.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think they are the two best goals. Although, you know, Chicho Arango did did have a very lovely my little all-turn goal, right? Yeah, it's my that's, team tr- in it. that's true, but it's, it wasn't the best goal of that your team scored no, but in that game. T- uh,
0: some people think it is. I agree with you, though. I agree with you. But no, yeah. two of the three two of the three best goals of the week were for, in the LAFC game.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, the second and third best goal, you mean? I don't, but no what's your Paul Marie what's your argument
0: let's hear it because we know that Bale's goal was better but let's hear it
1: no it really was not it really was not Paul Marie collects the ball a left back from 35 yards out against the second best team in the league and absolutely spanks it into the top corner just a rocket of a blast and yeah bill bill's goal was nice but he ran past one defender justin glad and then put it in the middle of the goal like it's just not comparable to a 35 yard screamer a once in a lifetime goal from paul marie although he did have a really nice one against houston last year as well but it's just undoubtedly goal of the week Uh, paul marie take a bow son
0: I don't care that Paul Marie can't score goals. I don't care that he's a left back. We're talking about the actual goal. It's still better. It doesn't doesn't matter.
1: It could be Leon Messi. It's still better.
0: It's a stunner from Paul Marie. It's a stunner. But if there was a real goalkeeper in goal, there's it never goes in. Wow. Paul Stuver, it's not even in the corner. It's not side netting. It's not the corner. It's not upper, it's not upper 90 for damn sure.
1: But it is pretty close. Stuver didn't even move his feet. He didn't even move his feet. If he it was past him one, before he had the chance to, it was so much power. No on it. way from forty-five yards from thirty-five yards.
0: If he takes one step over, he saves that. But he didn't. It. It's a great goal. Don't get me wrong. But Gareth Bale, you can't just say it's not the best because he's Gareth Bale. He absolutely dusted two defenders. One from basically missed midfield.
1: One no. So, no, it was the second. The second one was behind the whole time. He never even tried. You can watch. Ruiz him jogging. was trying. Ruiz was trying. No, trust no, me. He's just no. he's just too slow.
0: Justin no. Glad got absolutely dusted. It was it, his goal in the Copa del Rey final uh, Don't against Barcelona. Is, the, compare, make is that so compare. similar, and it's Don't considered one of the dare. best goals in his career. And don't tell me it's because it's MLS defenders. He did that
1: same thing against Mark Bartra of Barcelona. Don't even give it to me. Best goal of the. Oh, best goal. My soul is in pain. My soul. You did not just compare the Mark Bartra goal to him running past Justin Glad. on the field the whole thing about the mark bartra goal is that he went and ran five yards out of bounds and still beat him justin glad slow as hell of course gareth bale was going to beat him and and the second defender was behind him the whole time it was a 1v1 he beat justin glad and then put it in the middle of the goal i mean paul Maurice was infinitely more towards the corner than bales was i mean it doesn't uh, matter he he, bale
0: bales isn't about the no it doesn't it doesn't
1: matter paul Maurice is better it's in my opinion it's not even a debate it has nothing to do with bias 35 yard stunner is better than a finish from six yards after running past one defender. I'm sorry. It's just, it's just not close for me. It's really not. And Gareth, and I'm not saying that bail isn't that bail goal. Isn't great. It's a great goal. And, and when I texted you, I saw and I said, yeah, this man still got it. He's going to be incredible for you. And we've been saying that for weeks, but it doesn't change the fact that little (laughs) Paul Marie scored a better goal this week. And that's a fact.
0: If you want to vote, go and vote on MLS. Uh, Twitter it right now the poll is 31% to Gareth Bale 29% to Paul Marie uh 14% by the way to chicho orango the LAFC vote is being
1: split and Gareth Bale's still winning okay but LAFC has a much higher Twitter presence, presence. than yeah. than the Quakes do and yet Paul Marie's still at 29% cuz everyone who isn't an LAFC fan knows that that's the best goal of the week now these people are complaining about gutman can we tell them it's not even close No, no, no. I mean, Gutman, great goal. And, you know, obviously the moment adds to it as well, but I mean, it it doesn't touch Bale or Marie. I mean, obviously not Marie, maybe Bale a little bit more. And speaking of bangers, Justin, we can move to the moment of the week. And mine was the banger from none other than Leo Messi, the goat himself, the first bicycle kick goal of his career, an inch perfect ball from Leandro Perez over the head of the defender. Messi takes it on the chest and essentially chips the keeper with a bicycle kick. Just genius. That's the only way I can describe it. And he's now the only active player to both assist and score via an overhead kick in his career. This was, I guess, the final accomplishment, right? He hadn't scored a bike. Everyone will talk about, you know, Ronaldo against Juve and whatnot. Um, This was a sensational finish. Messi still got it. Incredible performance. Two goals, two assists. Uh, and I think he's going to absolutely rip up both league and the Champions League this year. He had his one year of adjustment and now it's over for every defender in this world.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love that. My moment of the week is this, this leads game. I, I, we discussed it a little bit, but it's not even the game. It's the Americans, three Americans, the manager, Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams, two new signings and uh, uh, basically a new manager, right? He, he kept them up at the end of last year. Um, but Brendan Aronson made the ball winning tackle that led to the first leads goal, which is evident of his game because he applied the most pressures to opposing players receiving or releasing balls 31 times in that game, more than any other player in the league last in, in that game week one, uh, Tyler Adams, uh, or and Aronson basically scored that equalize or that winner. As we talked about, I'm counting it. Aronson said he, he counts it, it. Hit him. He felt it. We're counting it, okay? Tyler Adams was the ran the second most of any player in the league in that game. He ran 12.14 kilometers. Odegaard was the only one with 12.52 kilometers. I know. I'm sorry, U.S. people. It's in kilometers, but that's the only – you can do your own conversions. But – Tyler Adams has to replace Calvin Phillips. He's doing the running. Brendan Aronson has to replace Rafinha, not quite Cinecera, but you know, he's going to, he's got to be part of it. Um, and he's producing. I absolutely love it. And then after the game, those two were the last players off the pitch. They were applauding the fans who were also cheering on Jesse Marsh. They absolutely love him right now. Uh, and the players gave away their kits to the fans. Um, and Jesse Marsh yelling at Lodge at the end of the game. it was just it was just a whole amalgamation of amazing American moments in that game. Uh, and it just had to be my moment of the week altogether,
1: yeah, moments of the week. And I don't blame you at all, Justin. And before we end off the episode, we do, of course, get to pick our game of the week for next week, which we will analyze, of course, in depth uh, on that episode. And it is, of course, Justin, Chelsea versus Spurs, the first big-time matchup of the season. it's on Sunday at 8.30 a.m. Pacific, 11.30 Eastern, obviously. Really, really excited for this one. You want to give us a little early prediction, Justin?
0: Ooh. Well, I think that... Spurs are going to find a draw in this game because I would say win, but it's at Stanford bridge. So I just going to say a draw right now. I predicted that Spurs would be the better side, um, but I just think it's it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be a very defensive game. So it might not be,
1: uh, you know, the highest scoring, but I think it'll be very
0: interesting nonetheless.
1: You know what? I'm going to go rogue and and I agree with these two teams. You'd think it'd be more defensive but I'm hoping for some chaos, so I'm gonna manifest a like three-three draw or something wow. insane like that. Let's hope they can channel their inner MLS. So you think three-three? I think more like a
0: one-one. Uh, I'm rooting for a nil-nil though for my FPL team. By the way, so we have <laughs> a little bit actually. Biased. Shoot,
1: shoot, I might have to go with that as well. <laughs> Although I don't have Paris itch, right? You do, but
0: yeah, I need. I, that's why I need the clean sheet both sides, and I have none of their attackers on either team, so. I, I want the clean sheets or a uh, Paris Hitch and Reese James could both score and make it one, one. I'm good with that. Get the game. But anyway, uh, there's also the MLS all-star game uh, this Wednesday. It won't be our game of the week. Cause it, it you know, it's not going to be, it's not an official game,
1: but it's, it's still one to watch. And we'll talk about it next week. It'll be exciting. Yeah. And with that, Justin, we can close off the episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Those links are in our bio on the link tree, um, as well as YouTube. We have another FPL show coming this Thursday, recapping how we did uh, game week one. And of course, uh, potential changes for game week two. I think I'm a little bit happier than you, Justin, that bit of a spoiler there, but uh, yeah. Those last minute changes, man. (laughs) Yeah, they worked out for me. Uh, Not so much for you, did they? Yeah, we'll get into it later. Anyway, we will see you on Thursday for that. And then of course, next week for our weekly episode. Thank you so much for listening.